Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Alison Glennie, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working as the Baptist Union of Great Britain's Public Issues Enabler and I'm part of the Joint Public Issues team. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit or political landscape and today I'm really pleased to introduce the Reverend Dr Michael Jagasser, Council for World Mission, Missions Secretary for Europe and Caribbean Region. Have I got all of that right, Michael? It's an impressive title. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, politics in the pulpit, it's a provocative sounding uh, question. I, I wonder what that might mean for you. Well, I think the, 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 the pulpit is a place where when you enter that space, you're entering with a view, you know, I'm a minister also of the United Reformed Church, and we always have, when you go to a new church, you come preaching with a view. So every time you enter into the pulpit, you have a view. And as people viewing and reflecting on a view and living in the context, if you want to say, for instance, in Birmingham, I'm based here, I'm in the police. So politics, police, preaching, you know, they're all related together. They're mm -hmm. all there in, in the text. Usually when people think of, you know, politics in the pulpit, they think, is he being political by supporting a particular political party? That's not my understanding. It is about grappling with the good news of the gospel, which then must take on all those things that deny fullness and flourishing life, which would mean taking on the bad news. So mm -hmm. pulpit and poli politics, you know, they go together. The pulpit is a political space. From your from your work, I wonder is there, or perhaps from your life, is there something um, that you you feel like this is the issue for you that perhaps, uh, or perhaps there's something contemporary happening that you'd really want our preachers to be listening to and thinking about this week. I guess for in answering that question, let me briefly look at myself because I am actually from the Caribbean, and so I'm Indo-Caribbean. And I've worked across the Caribbean region and I work in Europe, in different parts of Europe. And now I'm part of, you know, with a, with a global organization. And in, the, in that global space, you suddenly realize that there are many issues that are before us. So in this particular context, they, that is in the United Kingdom, there may be specific issues. But then when you look globally, there are also specific issues in different contexts, but there are things that connect all of the issues together. So when I use my Caribbean lens, I always try to locate myself. So for me, location matters. Mm. And location is not only about your context, it's about where you dwell, where the spaces that you inhabit, and then what informs the way you grapple with some of the issues. So in the Council for, for World Mission, for instance, if you think of COVID-19 as, as, you know, the pandemic mm -hmm. and the many variants of the pandemic, you think of the pandemic being this revealer that reveals all the other issues that are wrong, like economic inequity, vaccine apartheid, political incompetence, racism, and geopolitical bullying, gender-based violence, the impact on you know on, of environmental disasters on poor people and impoverished nations, and what I would term 
necropolitics within and between nations and economics being at the base of it and an economic system that then marginalized a whole set of people. So in a sense, there are many things happening, but I tend to zero in on what are the things that then link all of it together, given the global nature of my work. And I think there are things around politics, there are things around inequity, and there are things around economics at the base of it all that will run across like a thread. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I love the idea of, of where you dwell, not just being where you're located kind of physically, but where you yeah. dwell. Yeah. Um, so each week I also I check in with my JPIC colleagues um, for a little roundup of their expertise and kind of where would, where would they point me to um, say this is this is stuff that we should be thinking about from uh, I guess our location uh, but maybe mentally dwelling there as well um, and obviously in the UK at the moment the G7 is happening in Cornwall at the end of the week um, and there's a an, um, with hopefully an agreement on global corporate tax rates already. So that's a big thing that kind of links economic wise um, everything together. Also um, significant opportunity around the climate and global vaccination plans. Um, and it's really something that people can pray for to be uh, kind of have that ambitious um, and binding action on those areas. Um, and Christian Aid um, have a G7 wave of hope postcard campaign that might people might find interesting um, to mm -hmm. check in on as well. Um, there's international development budget going through um, with a potential vote in Parliament today. Um, so this we're recording this on Monday if you're li listening in later in the week. Um, so this will be kind of something to check in on and see where that may have got to. Um, and then decisions need to be taken by next Monday, whether England uh, especially moves to the next stage of the COVID roadmap, which will be um, less relevant to our Welsh and Scottish partners, but um, very much where we are. Um, so there's lots, um, there's lots going on. Um, it's just a tiny, tiny section of those things just to have. Um, and I think it's probably realistically the last one that is where most people are dwelling, whether or not we're located in different places, because people are waiting to find out what the next steps are going to be. Um, and that's certainly um, as where the pastoral and the political move this week. Um, so we're with our kind of um, with our metaphorical newspapers open in the one hand, we open our Bibles um, as well. And our lecturing readings this week are the Gospel mm -hmm. of Mark 4 with the parables of the kingdom using seed images. Um, we've got um, a choice of Old Testament readings as e Ezekiel 17, um, which is a uh, a reference that goes sits behind that parables of the kingdom about planting a cedar um, and then there's one Samuel 15 which is God and Samuel anointing David as king and then um, there's also um, as a second reading uh, two Corinthians available which is um, kind of ex Paul unpacking the kind of human point of view God point of view and kind of um, a new creation conversation um, and so that's these are our texts this week um, I wonder, Michael, if there's um, if there's one of these or a theme that runs across them that would particularly jump out for you. Yes, usually in my preaching, I tend to let me begin by by saying that I tend to allow the lectionary. I like using lectionary because then the text select me, even though I do have queries about the way that texts are put together and what is included and what is not included. And so, and I tend to work around themes, even though there are things in all three of the texts that would hold my attention and then try to weave through, you know, 
a pattern in terms of how I'm going to have my, my sermon or how would I preach, which these days tend to be very dialogical. So I'm in conversation with people in the pews rather than me only preaching and having a monologue, monological conversation and everybody listening in. So I thought, I mean, I didn't look at Ezekiel text. I did look at the Samuel text. And I thought about the idea of the demise of Saul. And then somewhere in the text where it's recorded there that it seems as if God made a bad choice in, in Saul. And so then you have, well, okay, guy, you haven't lived up to the expectation. But the idea of God making a bad choice is an interesting bit that here is a bad choice in terms of this leader that you have made. So there's something there about um, his demise as well as a bad choice and then looking, how then do you redress that situation? And then in the Corinthian passage, I thought that there is a sense in which there's a call to accountability. You know, you're giving account of your faith and confidence in the faith and tradition and so on. And um, there are bits there I would probably want to reflect on in terms of, you know, the idea of uh, Jesus dying for all and to explore that. You mean, that's okay in terms of our understanding of the Christian faith, Jesus dying for all. But then I would want to wrestle with that in, the say, in, in exploring, well, did Jesus died for all, but what caused the death of Jesus? What were the systems in place that caused his death rather than focusing about dying and this kind of vicarious death and suffering that would let off things that are systemic. You know, how you how you wrestle with that text in, in that regard. And the other bit is um, this notion of new creation, which, you know, we all dream of, we all subscribe to, transformation, the new. And then me, myself, wrestling with the question, well, what then in the new, what then in the new would comprise of what ought to be old? I mean, this whole idea of new as if you're this new creation and suddenly I become a disembodied cultural being or a specifically located being. I mean, is this what the text is asking about? How then do I be embodied culturally and then be located and dwelling in a particular space and place that can give agency to who I am and to all the things that are happening around me? So in and not in seems to me to be something pointing that direction. And the parables are, are also fascinating for me in the sense that there's a thread here of Jesus speaking in parables and to the people, as the scriptures say, they were able to hear, mm. you know, as they were able to hear. And I tend to be um, drawn towards the parable because of the, of the option. Maybe option is not the right word or rather because of the invitation to use the imagination, to imagine possibilities beyond, you know, uh, polarized position or polarized understanding or, or rigid understanding. So imagine, imagine the kingdom of God. Imagine the way of God. Imagine the way of, of walking this way of Jesus being like this. What then are the implications? So, so these are the, the things that would pull me towards that text and trying to draw out a theme, you know, and there may be particular verses that I would want to wrestle with. Hmm. I love the idea of dialogical preaching, Michael. I wonder, um, and before we carry on um, talking about the text, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about how that works, because I think that in itself is a, 
a commitment to being a certain way with power in a pulpit. And um, how, how do you manage to make that happen as a preacher? Because I think it's sometimes easier to be a monological preacher. Yeah. I think it grows with experience and it also grows with your own journey as a person of faith and faithfulness. And so of recent, I, I have used that by, you, of course you have to be prepared, you, you enter that space, but you're entering that space mindful that I then also need to interrogate the views that I have and my reading of that particular text. And so usually in such a context, I would want to frame things in the form of questions that would then elicit conversation from the group that would be participating and be sharing in, in, in that space. I mean, in United Reformed Church spaces, it's not necessarily large gatherings because we are not big communities. And I've also tried it in large communities as well, where you in, in presenting or in reflecting on the text, I'm inviting responses from the community, but responses that may not necessarily be what I may be thinking, but also to draw out it as conversational points. So in preparation, I would then identify like some of those things, conversation points. I mean, here is a conversation. Here's a question I have. How, how are you? Um, how would you respond to this? Well, or how are you thinking about this text? I mean, is it along these lines? And what I have found is that people actually wait for the opportunity to engage. Of course, you have to manage that engagement because you only have a limited amount of time. So in certain spaces, it worked better than in other space. I mean, I found in multicultural congregation um, where you have lots of um, BME colleagues that that tend to work because they're accustomed to this habit of engaging in a conversation. And there are some congregations that would consider themselves very progressive who would then want to engage in that sort of conversation. What it does for me is that it then allows me to interrogate my own assumptions that I bring to the interpretation because however much I would want to believe, okay, I'm led by the spirit to discern and to share, I also need to interrogate the assumptions I bring because I may certainly and quite often I may be guilty of that, of misreading what the Spirit may be saying to me or saying to others or how the Spirit may be leading. So, so I think it's a style you have to develop yourself. It, is, it grows with confidence. It is worth trying. And there is, and I think it relates to the text, the whole idea of um, the affirming what God affirms in that um, um, Samuel text, who God affirms, and this idea of God affirming us in spite of our failures. Hmm. And I, I, I always like to draw on what Luther used to say, you know, say that um, the efficacy of the text is not dependent on me as a preacher. I mean, Luther even went on to say that even if it's Balaam's jackass reading the text, God is going to work God's purpose out. And I hope that is the case. <laughs> that's certainly very reassuring isn't it yes. <laughs> yes. yeah i think I, i'm i'm you mentioned earlier the um the mark passage also having this line in about as they were able to hear it yeah. and i just think yeah this is maybe the challenge of this week's reading is to say yeah. actually 
can we can we play with these texts can we can we invite people to imagine with us so that um so that there's a, a level of not just hearing one person but but kind of hearing hearing the wide kingdom of god at work in everybody's life i think that's um and it's really exciting an exciting challenge of how to do it not just what to say um and realizing those are so close together um i think um I was, I was thinking about what I would preach this week. I'm not preaching this week, but I have preached these texts many a time before. And I think I varied between the one Samuel text and um, the Mark text. Um, and I think the Mark text, I've loved the um, subversive nature of a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. I think it's something you can really get everybody's head around, especially if you have some physical mustard seeds because they're so small. But um, mm-hmm. I think... Um, the, the idea that they were kind of they were weeds and they were weeds that would take over and they weren't these fancy plants that we haven't got Ezekiel um, really as our focus this week and we've picked the Samuel text instead um, but the, you could have you could pair this with Ezekiel and Ezekiel talks about these like this this um, cedar twig growing into this beautiful uh, beautiful big tree that will give shade and, and instead what Jesus does isn't a big cedar tree of the kind of the big kings and the big empires but but there's <laughs> that takes over and it's rampant around the garden that then the birds that which are complete pests come and nest in <laughs> and yeah. then destroy all your carefully cultivated crops and I think what's it mean to say this is what the kingdom of God is like and, and the, you know this is what God's empire looks like it doesn't look like this this thing that we like the idea of of kind of a big kingly figure and a nice stately something but this kind of weed infestation and um yeah I've I've, I've often I found that a really compelling image of it's sort of shabby and it's sort of um yeah it's quite a agricultural image as well you know the new creation yeah. link in uh two corinthians i wonder if there's something that you could kind of say actually people have spent quite a lot of time i think um in outside spaces this past year to kind of stay sane and i think you know actually maybe we're connecting a bit more with nature and the world and that way and actually what's it mean to have these weeds that take over our gardens and yeah you know that kind of what's it mean to be uh you know looking out at the world in the different seasons from the window whatever it kind of actually there's something here what's what's where's the kingdom of god in this and um yeah i i think you're you're flagging up there the whole idea of the, the the messiness of life and its ambiguities and the context in which we live and also that Maybe there's something about our desire to want order and neatness, and then the the logic, the illogic of God's kingdom is it's, it's a whole reversal. So it's a subversive nature. So our logic is that a garden should look like this. So we have a garden just looking out here at the back, and so it's it's if other people come and look at it, they're gonna say, well, actually, Michael, this is not really a garden we plant lots of vegetable things around we have a wild bit at the back there where you have the butterflies and the bees and the wasps and so on foxes would come from foxhill over the other side walk through here a big apple tree here that you know uh, we live around cadbury estate and so boneville each yard had to plant a fruit tree and so that apple tree there's a very old apple tree berry but then it gets messy when it bears so so there's something there about you know Jesus, you know, trying to say, well, look, it, it is not this kind of our desire always to put neatness to things is what I would locate as the colonial agenda. The colonial agenda has a particular way of operating 
that can, you know, it brings comfort, it brings assurance, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, this is going to happen. Whereas what is decolonial would then maybe fluid, ambiguous, messy, and, you know, just thriving of whole set of things around us. And and the bit that struck me with the, uh, the problem of the mustard seed is that in the tree, of course, the tree is used for shade, but then the, the line about this tree providing spaces for birds and for all sorts of other things, you know. So a sense of perhaps signifying on salvation for whole of humankind. So the whole of creation, you know, God's business and God's agenda, life in all its fullness, flourishing life is not for a few or some. It is for all, but also the whole of creation. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's a bit there that one can pull out and draw on this imagination, imagination and this sense of, of, uh, of, of, you know, pushing boundaries mm. and, and have a go, play with some of, of the images here in, in the gospel, in the epistle reading, as well as in the, the reading from the Hebrew Bible. Mm. I am... Um... We mowed our lawn the other day and um, my, my four-year-old looked at the patio and said, but mummy, you forgot to do that. You forgot to mow that bit. And I was like, that is a sign that I've let the weeds grow for the bees a little bit too long. Um, I think it's something that's in there about um, our garden is fairly uncultivated. Uh, it's yeah, not at all cultivated, but it seems to be thriving with wildlife as a result of that. And I think yeah. there, is, there is definitely something about kind of actually here is an image of of what God does that says, actually, it's not when we, you know, when we have manicured lawns, maybe that's not quite so good for the planet and, and therefore so good. Yeah, it's there's some ecological stuff that could really be drawn out of that, I think. I was also, um, I was thinking about the Samuel passage and how, um, again, in a kind of our desire for order and for things to look a certain way and for things to be kind of a particular powerful kind of conversation and and in the sorrow of, of, of having, you know, saying that, that Saul was, um, you know, has not has not been the king that that they mm -hmm. were. Um, Sam Samuel then goes and is um, sent to uh, to the family of Jesse, and and so he sees all these sons in age order, and obviously then he gets the youngest one <laughs> brought in from the field again. You know, quite an agricultural image, and um, and and he, and it says there's this great line about. Um, it says something about like oh don't look at the outward appearance you know god looks at the heart and you really need to look at the heart you know and then they have this great line um he you know now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome it's like we can't even when describing this in the bible manage not yeah. to look at the outward appearance because it's so yeah. important to us yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's interesting that's an interesting okay. bit yeah, yeah that's a good that's spot on in terms of the kind of, you know, what is aesthetically pleasing, what is beautiful, you know, that kind of thing. So, and then, then you go outward rather than inside. I mean, when the whole story, when I looked at, um, read it again, I thought, hmm, what would have happened had David not been the one? Would God have suggested a parade of the daughters, for instance? <laughs> had there been daughters, you know? So it's... It, but these are questions that you ask and you wrestle. So in a dialogical sermon, somebody may would have asked that, but what has happened to the daughters? Mm -hmm. I've had questions like that where people pose those questions. You know, like feeding out the 5,000, somebody had once said to me, yeah, 
he fed four or five thousand, and he said, not counting women or children. What happened to them? That sort of thing. <laughs> but you're right that how quickly we revert outward when the direction is signifying on the inward. Mm. That's an interesting point. And you've got to wonder if it was being written up, you know, David becomes the king of, of you know, Israel's history in a way that... Um, you could think, you know, as these stories get written up, people want to, people want to be in on that. You know, they don't want to, yeah, they don't yeah. want to alienate themselves from that, that kind of power. And, and I, I know these have come to us as scriptural texts, but you know, first and foremost, they were kind of, you know, they were the stories of of this, this, you know, this kingdom, a political experience, and kind of, um, you got to, you got to wonder, like, ah, uh, you know, well, you know, God didn't look at the outward appearance, but also He was outwardly beautiful. <laughs> Let's be yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's a bit of propaganda in this isn't there <laughs> like this is the the spin um i i think um i was thinking about how often we um in in kind of the rest of politics life and um and in the world in all sorts of systems of power as much as we we like to think we don't that that is you know appearance is so much of it and i think um yeah we create like craft images what we think uh beauty looks like um in this case it's it's beautiful eyes and ruddy um but it's it kind of you know all sorts of ways of kind of creating this idea of this is the image of what we like our rulers to look like or what our politicians to look like and um and that yeah kind of whether that like the kind of the, the question is implicit in the text isn't it is, is that what you're looking for is that the right thing that we we should be kind of trying to find here yeah when you mentioned the mustard seed, I thought of, um, I was thinking of a children's story. Well, adults would love it too. And the one, I collect children's story books. I have a whole set downstairs because I find lots of theological insights into them. And one that's very popular and probably you'd have read with your child or children would, um, is what the ladybird heard. Yes. So the story of a ladybird, a very small hearing and then subverting a robbery, you know, and then coming to the rescue of the animal. So that struck me just now when you talk about this, this small mustard seed and then what it blossoms into and the potential that it carries for subversion, you know, big space. Yeah. So I know the story well. It's all about Hefty yeah. Hugh and Lanky Len, aren't they? They're yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two yeah, bad yeah. men. And it rhymes. Yeah. And actually, one of the things I'm really struck by with children's stories um, is that they they do seem to contain such rhythm uh, as well as image, and they kind of um, yeah. So when you're reading it with with your child, it's so easy to read. It's so poetic to read, and mm. um, and that makes it part of the joy is the sound of it and how it how it comes across. And I I think um, one of the things I've I've often thought about with preaching is how do I make this? Can I make this a joy to be listened to? You know, mm -hmm. to to be heard in that way um and yeah it's um yeah we know we know it we know, we know that one well um and actually one of my big problems with children's storybook bibles i've got a whole separate rant about this because <laughs> obviously they're quite ex they're already quite exegetical by the time you get them and hmm. and i think so often miss the poetry of the original scripture and, and i really want to say actually let's keep the poems and keep the images and keep the ideas and if you get a good one that's good at that i think it really helps helps children to kind of really interact with God's word in that in that creative, childlike way when men have come to God, isn't it? So, um, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, the, the other bit is when even, I think you're right about the poetics and the poetry, and, and this is why in preparation for a sermon, I usually read the text in different versions of the Bible, in different languages as well, so you read it before you look at any other thing. And also, even though, even when one would have prepared a reflection or a sermon and you go in a church and you hear people reading the text with different accents, there are things that jump out in terms of the poetry or the movement in their voices that would then become like a, a, a its own hermeneutical meta that you said, wow, this sounds differently. There is something here mm -hmm. rather than, and then all of a sudden, all your kind of exegetical skills would disappear because you're hearing, yeah, this is it. This makes sense. This is the poetry here. Here is a message. So I've experienced that on countless occasions when people read with the different styles of reading. Like I am also speaking here in a different way. <laughs> but no, you're right. And I, I absolutely agree that I've done the same thing. And you, you listen, you suddenly, you hear somebody read it and you think, oh, no, that's not what I'm preaching on. <laughs> but that yes. seems to me for sermon now, that the way yeah, you yeah. read it. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's it, we're, we're nearing half an hour. So I'm going to, um, we're going to uh, send people out into their pulpit time with a with a blessing, but um, I just really want to thank you for your wisdom, uh, for for the insights and the thoughts that you've brought to us, and the questions that you'll leave us with, um, because it's really been such a rich and valuable half an hour, and I'm really grateful for that. So, um, so thank you very much, Michael, for coming on, and uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Um, we're praying for you as you prepare. Um, for your week ahead and in all that you are doing in ministry and mission. So, um, so let's go out with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Thank you.